Let's try again. There I am. Okay. What's the saying? There's always something. But it's nice to have a team that comes to the rescue. So um, as I was saying, I am so glad that we're gathering as the Christ Journey family once again. And as is typical of us, we welcome all those joining us across the nation, around the world, who are gathering with us in South Florida, Kendall Campus, Gables Campus, you're more than welcome here. And uh, we would especially love for you to meet Miss Miami, Stephanie Almeida, who is part of one of the daughters of our church. And so God bless you, Stephanie. We're very thankful for the story that you lift for Jesus' name as you wear that title. Speaking of daughters, I think mine is around somewhere with a really, really handsome grandson. There she is right back there. Uh, so hey, Corey, thank you for coming. Every month, 250,000 Americans, a quarter of a million people will Google this question. What is the meaning of life? So you know, I did it too. I just typed it in the search engine and in less than a second, half a second, 801 million results were reported on Google. The first quote came from French philosopher Albert Camus who said this, you will never be happy if you continue to search for what happiness consists of. You will never live if you are looking for the meaning of life. Well, that's hopeful. Don't you, don't you think? That's, that's real hopeful. As a matter of fact, his views became part of a philosophy that is now known as absurdism. Absurdism. Next up, Dr. Albert Einstein, scientist, intellectual icon, Time Magazine listed Einstein as the person of the century. Their person of the century, 20th century. Here's what he said. To know the answer to this question means to be religious. You ask, well then does it make sense then to pose the question? I answer, the man who regards his own life and that of his fellow creatures as meaningless is not merely unhappy, but hardly fit for life, close quote. He would later write this, science without religion is lame, and religion without science is blind. Smart man. Third answer, Google lists, a biblical one, says, that God, our creator, made us in his image to find ultimate meaning in fellowship with him. And not only would it bring satisfaction to this life, but bliss in the next, eternal bliss in the next. Have you ever wondered, why am I here? I'm, I'm serious, have you ever just wondered, <laughs> not how did I get here, but why? Why? Am I here? Am I meant for more than simply consuming products and acquiring stuff and achieving goals and then reproducing and raising more humans? Why? You see this cartoon? It's a, uh, it tracks the evolutionary hypothesis from lower life to the highest form and has the bubble up thought. It simply says, eat, survive, reproduce. Eat, survive, reproduce. Eat, survive, reproduce. Until it gets to the human who asks what? What is it all about? See, this is a very human question that we're asking. I read an environmentalist who said this. He, he believes he has found the solution to the world's problems, and here it is. It's called voluntary human extinction. 
Quote, phasing out the human race will solve every problem on earth. <laughs> Social and environmental, close quote. The movement's motto, and this is a legit movement, you can look it up. May you live long and die out. <laughs> but the question behind the movement is this, why are we here? Really, why are we here? How would you answer that? Are you here simply to live long and die out? Or, or are you here so that your life can be predetermined by the so-called selfish gene that is at work under the radar that you don't know about, but really predeterminism? Where do we find meaning? In the madness of our affluence and our sophistication, in the horror of our squalor and our violence, in the celebration of our international cosmopolitan sophisticated community, where do we find meaning? And why, somebody's asking, the, why? I thought this was a Christmas series. Why are we asking these questions in a Christmas message? And the answer is because that's where the answer is. The answer to the question is right there in the Christmas story. Enter the wise men. Sophisticated sages renowned in Persia as specialists in medicine, astronomy, supernatural knowledge, religion, and intellectual pursuits. And so far, here's what's happened. Just bring us up to speed in the story as it's being introduced to us biblically. Um, God, in our countdown to Christmas, we have seen God break a 400-year silence by bringing a word to a priest, a Jewish priest in the temple who had, after the altar of sacrifice has been made and the coals have now ignited the altar of prayer and an angel shows up and says, your prayers have been heard. And you're gonna have a son and he's going to help people get ready for Messiah. And what we learn there is no one is so dead that God can't give life. I don't know how dead you're feeling today. Zechariah and Elizabeth were up in years. Their womb was dead, but God gave life. Second, next we saw Mary and Joseph find their place, do their part, as God not only does he come into humanity, you know what he does? He enters our shame and our scandal in Jesus' birth. His birth swirled in it. And what we learn there is that he came to save people from their sin so that no one is so small, God can't go big. God can make a big difference when we discover our smallness. Then we saw that the angels, the angels burst through the night sky, announced to the Bethlehem shepherds that the birth has taken place and that they're invited to have front row seats. Now, shepherds are outsiders. They're social outcasts. But they are told that they will find the baby in a place that feels really familiar to them, a place that feels like home, a manger. And there we learn this. No one is so far down. I don't know how far down you feel today, how invisible you feel today. But no one is so far down that God cannot lift you up. And now today we turn our attention to the wise men, the magi, the three kings as they're called. They're pagans from Persia as best we understand, the Persian Empire, who Matthew says they find their way to Jesus by following signs. Signs that they had seen in the midst of a very troubled world and troubling world. 
What do you do when you're troubled? You ever been troubled? You ever had a troubled mind? You ever looked at your world and wondered, what are we going to do with all the trouble? Especially if your world is at war. You ever look for an answer? A way out? Or maybe, you know, you try to make sense of it all. You ever asked, why is this happening? What does it all mean? Well, the Magi do. And from them, we learn another lesson, and I'm going to pitch it as this way. None are so wise, God can't teach you more. I want you to think about that as we say, how are we supposed to deal with our troubled minds and our troubled lives in a very troubled war at world, and how could we become perhaps wiser in preparation for that? I want to invite you to hear the story of Matthew 2 again for the very first time. Jesus, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi came from the east to Jerusalem and they asked, where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. Now, King Herod, power leader at the time, was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. In fact, Herod is the kind of king, when he's troubled, he makes sure everybody feels the trouble that's troubling him. It says, all Jerusalem. So Herod was disturbed at this, and he's disturbing as many others as he can in Jerusalem with it. And then when he called together the, the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked, where is Christ to be born? And they said, Bethlehem in Judea, they replied. Because, and then they referred to a prophecy from Micah made 700 years before that date. And then Herod calls the Magi together secretly, like huddle up back in a private area. And he found out from them the exact time that the star appeared. And, uh, and then he said, so go to Bethlehem, make a careful search for the child. And as soon as you find him, come back, report to me so that I too can go and worship him. After they'd heard the king, they went on their way, and the, the star that they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child lay. And when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. And on coming to the house, now we got to remember here, this is not the manger anymore, okay? They're at the house now. Some time has passed since that nativity scene that you celebrate has happened, and they're now at the house. They came to the house, and they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down, and they worshiped him, and they opened their treasures, and they presented to him gold, incense, and myrrh, and then, having been warmed in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. Now, familiar story, right? filled with mystery and wonder, mystery men and a star of wonder. Now to moderns, this is stuff that sounds like fairy tales. And I'm telling you, if you have an atheist or a skeptic friend or loved one in your life, they're likely to tell you that, right? Like, come on, everybody knows stars don't move and they're gonna start talking astronomy with you because I took astronomy, I know. If it moves, it's not a star, Right? I get that. 
Now, maybe for you, it's different. You've never had that even thought about that in your mind. When you think of the star, you know, you get all warm and fuzzy and you think about Three Kings Day and you think about that feeling that you have when you start decorating your house for Christmas and you bring the camel out with the guys and put it down there. You know, you have never wondered beyond your own understanding of the story as to what's going on. But I'm telling you, there are some people (laughs) and I bet we're gonna have some people listening today who have just wondered, is there any plausible explanation for what was going on? Come on, how did pagan intellectuals from a thousand miles away even know about a coming Jewish king? Have you ever wondered? And why would they care? And how did they know to go to Jerusalem? And how did they know that whatever it was in the sky was about him? What's going on, really? I mean, really? Come on, why did they take such expensive gifts? (laughs) And what does any of that have to do with you and the meaning of life? Well, um, back up with me for just a moment. If If none are so wise, God can't teach us more. If that's true, you may disagree, but if it's true, let's find out. So, who are they? Where do they come from? The text indicates that they are magi. This is a word of Persian origin. Magi were intellectual, spiritual leaders from ancient Babylon and Persia. These guys most likely were from Persia, as the text says. And they were sages who would study the heavens, study the world, and then interpret reality, interpret dreams even. And during Israel's exile, 600 years before this time, Daniel... Daniel that was in the lion's den, remember? The story ended with Daniel being placed over the magi in the ancient empire of Babylon that was superseded by Persia. And now scholars say that this may be why pagans knew about a Hebrew prophecy. Because Daniel took his Bible with him into exile. He took the scrolls with him into exile. And then when he was placed in leadership... This prophecy got included in their curriculum. Numbers chapter 24, verse 17 from the Torah reads like this. A star will come out of Jacob, a ruler, a scepter, a power leader will rise out of Israel. So that may explain part of the equation. How did they know? And then why did they come? Well, why did it matter to them? I mean, what could possibly motivate pagan intellectuals to make a thousand plus mile journey across a desert to get to a people that they once held captive. What makes sense about that? And by the way, it would take at least 30 days one way. So why did they come? Well, I found something in my research The history side of the equation, actually, not the theology side. I was just wondering, what's going on in world events at this time period? And uh, I discovered that the Roman-Persian War, historians say, was raging at this time. The the Roman-Persian War lasted 680 years. It's the longest conflict ever in human history. But at this time, it would have been going on. It would have been troubling their world and troubling their minds for four decades. 
Imagine, I mean, this insane, violent tug of war. Families are being ripped up and disrupted and territories are being captured and looted and destroyed. And it's been going on for year after year after year as these world empires clash for dominance. And the thought occurred to me, you know, humans have been known to seek hope in political and military leaders. And so I'm wondering if they went looking for a king for the same reason you might have voted in the last election. Because in your mind, whatever your perspective is, that you thought, hey, it's time for a new leader. And I want to be sure and show up for that occasion. And it says they were seeking a new ruler. This is what the story says. They were seeking a new power leader who could make a difference in their troubled war, in their troubled world. Maybe he could stop this troubling war. Could they have been thinking that? I mean, didn't the ancient prophecy say that a ruler, a scepter, will rise in Israel? That's why they went to Jerusalem. They were looking for a new world ruler. And then didn't the prophecy say that a star, a star will come out of Jacob. Okay, well, let's talk about that one for a moment. How do we explain the star? Maybe you've got a star on your tree, right? We do. It's like a, it's, it's just cool, right? And then if you read the story, it's like a nice special effect. But really, I mean, could it be real? In the material world, is there any plausible explanation? And you know what? Scholars say yes. <laughs> in fact, um, Matthew's, for what's described in Matthew's story, there are a few plausible scenarios. I want to tell you one one explanation involves three celestial events that occurred in sequence over the period of time, two-year period of time around Jesus' birth. And if you're not aware of this, um, scholars believe that Jesus was not born at the zero mark on the BCAD calendar, okay? That, that's not how that happened. Actually, the best estimate is 5 BC, according to our time frames, and... Um, and at the same time, in that frame, they note that there were some celestial events that could have been involved that they find from the records. First, a planetary conjunction of Saturn, Jupiter, and Mars. Of course, it's a rare occurrence, but it does happen, and the math shows how. And as they came together in that time period, it would have created a bright light in the night sky that stargazing intellectuals would not have been able to miss. It's like this is a heads up. Oh, wait, check the records. Didn't something say, maybe we better pay attention? Next, ancient records, records from China, by the way. And scholars say theirs are some of the most precise and detailed from ancient stargazing. Indicated the passing of a long period comet, easily visible from the near and far east, that would seem to move westward across the southern sky for a period of about 70 days. That's more than enough time. You can make a return trip and something like that, depending on when they left. You know, because it must have already been and going, and then they got their stuff together and, and went. Third phenomenon was either a nova or a comet that I've read, and records show that what the Magi saw and what they call a star that stopped over the place where the child was. Astronomers look at this evidence and they say, you know what, that's a plausible explanation. 
You know, a conjoining of planets that grabs attention and says, hey, heads up, and then a long-tail comet that's slow across the sky long enough to make a two-month journey, depending on how they wanted to do it, then punctuated by a nova, because, you know, the story says that after they were in Jerusalem, the star appeared again. How did that happen? Well, that's a plausible explanation from that, that what the Magi's call the star, the heavenly body, that word can actually mean a nova, a comet, or a planet. And in fact, did it actually involve these three astral phenomenon in sequence? Another compelling an extremely thorough presentation trying to answer the same scientific question about it is found in a book that was released in 2015. It has been called The Definitive Treatment on the Subject, The Great Christ Comet Revealing the True Star of Bethlehem by Cambridge University professor, you know, flies on him, Dr. Colin Nichols. Now, if you don't have time to pick up the book and you're not really into research, you just, no, then you might want to check out his interview. It's on YouTube. Dr. Colin Nichols, and then at least bring yourself into a wider frame of reference than simply, oh, it must be make-believe or it's whatever. No, is there a plausible explanation? Now, if you were my friend and you considered yourself, if I cared about you and you considered yourself an atheist or a skeptic or an agnostic for whatever reason, and your propensity was to say, oh, the Bible, that's just fairy tale stuff, but I knew you to be intellectually honest, I would want you to know about this. Now, do I know that this is how it happened beyond a shadow of a doubt? No way. No, no, I don't. But what I'm saying is there's a plausible explanation. It's a scientific explanation that has been thoroughly researched, footnoted, illustrated with Cambridge professors literally doing the math. I mean, I'll, you can see the copy of the book if you want to come. Let me show you. It, they literally do the math of the astronomical science, of the mathematical equations that guide the movement of the universe. It was astral, all I'm trying to say is, could it be possible that this is not just the stuff of fairy tales, this is astral phenomenon that takes us into the math and says could really happen in the observable universe to the point that it caught the attention of some people whose jobs was to study the sky and pay attention to world events troubled sages who were intellectuals who thought maybe there's something happening that's big that could put an end to the despair and the war that we're in. And maybe somebody was searching for help, that they were looking for something epic, something prophetically epic that had been foretold from centuries before, something cosmically epic that was being testified to by the framework of nature around them. Could it be understood to herald a brand new world leader? So, believer, believer, if you have a beloved unbeliever in your life who tends to dismiss you out of hand and say, that's just the stuff of fairy tales, you might want to love them enough to help share in a humble way something that they might want to know more about. That there are reasons for faith. It's not just a blind leap into a fairy tale. That's what I'm saying. But why did they bring such extravagant gifts? Okay, think about it. I mean, you're going to go introduce yourself to a new world leader who's going to change the shape of global conflict? Hey, they're going to show up 
to honor with respect fit for an epic encounter. I mean, they go loaded for bear. Gold, incense, rare, spice, myrrh. Maybe he's the next great hope that's going to bring help to their troubled lives. You know what they're looking for? They're looking uh, for help. Are you looking for help today? Your mind troubled? Your circumstances troubled? What did they find? They found something worth their lives. Some meaning. <laughs> Some ultimate meaning that they are immediately moved to validate. You know, they, they, they offer the ultimate validation to the most valuable. They declare this baby most valuable. That's what worship means. That's what true worship does. It's not just singing songs until you get a feeling. True worship says Christ is worthy of all. And they go prostrate. The language says literally. They go prostrate. They're on their faces kissing the dirt in front of this baby. How does that happen? Actually, a little bit older now probably. He's, you know, a few years down the road. And they opened in their pricey gifts of gold, incense, and myrrh. How strange that must have been to Mary. Can you imagine? Who's watching these wealthy and powerful pagans bow down in worship to her son. By the way, Matthew uses this story to show that these intelligent foreigners are the very first who worship Jesus as king. the one who would teach us, thy kingdom come, they were declaring. You know, the last time Persians had been in town, it wasn't such a friendly environment. And now here they are, face down before a Jewish boy. So, um, what are we to learn? Well, let me ask you first. Is it true that none are so wise that God can't teach you more? I mean, if you may disagree with that. You may think, no, I got it all together. I already know all I need to know. <laughs> and I've already come to my conclusions, so please, you know, just finish up so that we can get on with it. But if it's true that none, no one is so wise that God can't teach you more, let me ask you this. Are you willing to let God make you a little bit wiser? No matter how far you've come, that God could take you farther. No matter how many degrees you've got, how much achievement you've made, how many, could God take you somewhere you haven't yet been? This is what I think the story is inviting us to understand. And I'm saying this is good news for our broken world, for our troubled lives, for our hurting families and our needy nation. It's all right here. At, at YouTube concerts, Bono sometimes shouts this, I went looking for spirits and I found alcohol. I went looking for soul and I bought me some style. I went, I wanted to meet God and they sold me religion. In another song, Yahweh is the name of the song. He offers his hands to God. He says that, that so often clench in fists. And then he says, I offer my mouth that is so quick to criticize. And then he says, he offers his heart. Take this heart and make it break. And when Bono finally decided to let other people into his uh, faith journey, you know who he chose to tell the story? A French journalist, an agnostic French journalist who made a point to challenge him across the way saying, how could he possibly believe in Christianity in the secular world of rock and roll? 
And one by one, Bono answers the questions, admitting the flaws of the church, so many, so evident, and yet also claiming that following Jesus has satisfied his search for meaning and given him a cause to live for beyond celebrity and beyond pleasure. I would say Bono would know about being worldly wise and yet becoming wiser in his journey. Are you open? Open to what? Open to following the light that you already have. How, why don't we start there? Following the light we already have. What if God surprises you with insight before offering you proof? In the absence of proof, are you open to believe first and then understand later? You know, as I understand Albert Einstein, he was notoriously intuitive. That means that he would see things and suddenly understand how they work before he ever did the math. And it was annoying to others in the scientific community. But I, for me, it, uh, insight preceded proof for him. And I think it's why he said this, imagination is more important than knowledge. Did you know that the person of the century that Time Magazine listed in the 20th century said imagination matters more than knowledge? Why would he say that? It's not that knowledge doesn't matter, but all knowledge can tell you is what you already know and understand. It doesn't take you into those things that are real prior to your understanding. And so imagination opens your mind to things maybe you have not experienced yet. And if you're not open, you're not going to experience them, are you? Is your imagination open to what you have yet to understand, to what you have yet to experience? Would, could it be? What if God is trying to surprise you with insight before understanding? Would you be open to it? In Steve Jobs' biography, author Walter Isaacson tells a story of when Jobs was sick. And Yo-Yo Ma visited him and he played Bach on his Stradivarius. And... Uh, and as he did on his Stradivarius cello, Jobs teared up in the story and he said this, your playing is the best argument I've ever heard for the existence of God. Because I don't really believe a human alone can do this. What's Jobs saying? You know what? <laughs> I can't prove there's a God, but somehow I know and I feel there must be. The experience he was having right there was beyond explanation, wasn't it? But the experience was there. So you may not have your explanation yet, but you can have your experience. Are you open? Christmas isn't about explanations. Christmas is about experiencing Christ, meaning ultimate meaning in life through God's love in Christ. You know what? When you were born, you didn't even know you had parents. You didn't know what parents were, did you? You didn't know what they were. You didn't even know you had one. But I guarantee you, because parents were in your life, they were addressing your troubles, and here you are. Would you be willing to let God show you what you have yet to know about his parenting and love for you? Would you be willing to let God do that for you? Would you be willing to let the Christmas story help you imagine? What if God really cared like that? 
and could bring peace to your troubled world? What if God foretold Christ's coming from ancient times? What if hundreds and hundreds of years before it happened, like the story says, what if God embedded the curiosity to seek the answer to the question, why am I here? And not only in those sages, but he's put it in the human heart like a homing device to call you to ask questions that only he's the answer to. What if God so ordered the universe <laughs> to light the sky and show the way to Jesus? What if? What if God left tracks in his world for you to follow so you could find him and find the meaning of life what if? Tracks like what? Well, maybe like astronomical records that can be researched and mathematical proofs that for those who are willing to dig deep enough can be unearthed. What if the story of your friend about how their life is different? What if that answered prayer that your mom was telling you about is really true and not just coincidence? What if that tug in your heart or that, that wrinkle in your mind is there to keep you seeking? What if God is trying to get your attention in the language that you speak, not Bible speak? Are you open to the light that he has to follow it to the next step in the journey? Doesn't it just make sense that God would speak this way? I mean, how else should he introduce himself to intelligent people? And then what is it about us that makes us think we already know all we need to know? You ever wonder that? And would you be willing for God to open your life, your mind, your heart, your family, your future? to a new world in Christ. And then maybe have reason to understand the words to this song. Oh, God rest ye merry gentlemen. Let nothing you dismay. Remember, Christ our Savior was born on Christmas Day. Oh, tidings of comfort and joy. Oh, tidings of comfort and joy. Thank you, gracious, almighty, infinite God. We worship you and the, the massive intelligence of your mind. Your ways are above our ways. Your thoughts are beyond our thoughts. And yet you invite us to imagine larger than where we've been and the messes we find ourselves in. So we welcome your truth. We welcome your presence and we invite you, Holy Spirit, to help open our eyes to the light that's already in our path that we could take the next step and find more of you is that your prayer right now? Would you lean into that prayer to God right now? Wherever he has taken you thus far, would you say, Lord, I'm listening. If that's you, I'm paying attention. Take me the next step. Take me the next step. Maybe you're not ready, as you would say, to cross the line of faith just yet and say, oh, Jesus must be the savior of the world but maybe you'd be ready to say there must be a God 
What does it all mean? Father, we pray your love and truth to light the way for somebody right now. And we especially pray for that somebody who knows this is their moment. And if that's you, then I'm gonna offer a prayer you can join me in and we will all pray with you about the step that you're taking. Lord Jesus, come into my life, forgive my sins, turn on the lights inside my soul as I receive your gift of salvation by grace and lead me forward to know and do your will. Now our heads still bowed just for a moment, but if you prayed that prayer and would let me offer an, a prayer of blessing upon your next steps, would you simply raise your hand and hold it up for a moment wherever you're seated. If online, there's an orange banner you can click right there and uh, we'll be joining you in prayer as well. Thank you. I don't wanna miss anybody and the lights are kind of bright up here, so amen. Thank you. In the middle section, in the center section, God bless you. Lord Jesus, for each person who by uplifted hand is signifying a heart open to your light and your life, we pray that you would bless them with your presence as they have made their prayer in Jesus' name, amen.